Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. All right, we'll uh, pick up in verse Genesis 1, uh, verse 24. This is at the start of day 6. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the grounds according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Every human being on planet Earth, has to wrestle with certain questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I headed? Why am I alive? And what does it mean to be human? The opening pages of Scripture give us an unprecedented view into the answers behind those questions. And at ground zero, the original purpose for human beings is rooted in a single sentence. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Every living creature in existence was created by God himself. But of all of the countless millions of species on planet Earth, only one bears his image. And the question becomes, what does it mean to be an image bearer of God? Throughout the centuries, there have been no shortage of ideas. It must be something that sets us apart from the other animals. That seems clear enough. Perhaps it refers to our capacity for community. That just as God exists in a community of persons, that we too were made to exist in community and relate to others. Perhaps it's our ability to know God to place our faith in Him and be in relationship with Him. Surely, no other creature can be in relationship with God in the way that human beings can. But it turns out that human beings have many capacities that seem to set us apart from the rest of the created order. Could it be our cognitive abilities? Uh, Is our capacity for oral and written language 
Is it our capacity to use complex tools or to study and comprehend the world around us? Is it our conscious awareness and our awareness of our own consciousness? Is it our capacity to rule and reign and shape and remake creation? Was I born in the image of God? Can I lose the image of God? What if I'm in rebellion against God? What if I'm in a coma? Do I still bear God's image? These are some of the questions that surround the debate. And while there are volumes of information surrounding these simple questions, I find it most helpful to start with the words of Scripture and and trying to understand the unique meaning that some of these words had in their original cultural context of the ancient Near East. Image and likeness actually meant something to them. For starters, if you lived in the ancient Near East, odds are that you were ruled by a king. And kings in the ancient Near East would set themselves up as a son of God or the image of God. And it was their unique tie to divinity that gave them the right to rule over others. So, for example, the king of the Babylonians might say, hey, I am the very image of the god Marduk, or whoever their their main god is. I'm the image of the god and, and embodiments of the god Marduk. I am an extension of him. And you exist, silly humans, as slaves created by the god Marduk to serve his will. And because I am the, the image or, or extension of him, in a sense, you exist to serve me because I am made in his image. It was a claim to kingship and the ability to rule. And if you were a ruling king, then at some point you would set up a selim or a likeness of yourself. And a selim or a likeness is often translated in the scriptures as an idol or a statue or an image. And this uh, selim or image or likeness could be set up near or far as an extension of the king uh, to remind people who the king was and what that king was like. So, so an image or a selim, a likeness, was something that embodied a king or a god. It could be a statue. It could be an actual human person. But in either case, the image represented that king or god in the visible, physical world. And, and that image was understood to share qualities and characteristics of the one that they represented. And so all of this, the kings and the image of God and the selim or likeness being set up in different places would have been very common. It would have saturated the world of the ancient Near East. But Israel was called to be a different kind of nation 
from start to finish, from top to bottom, they were supposed to be different. And curiously, unlike all the other kings of that time, the kings of Israel never claimed to be divine. Okay, so if I'm in Israel, I'm not going to make images of them because they're not even claiming divinity. But in case that wasn't enough, God told the nation of Israel that they were not even to make idols or images of God. So Israel becomes a nation. For those of you who know the story, it's through the Exodus, which we just finished reading if you're doing your Bible in a year. Uh, He frees them from slavery in Egypt. He forms a covenant with them. He makes them his covenant people. And as part of that covenant, God gives them what we call the Ten Commandments. Here's what they say. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Why not? Well, first off, to reduce the creator God down to something in creation is limiting and inaccurate. You you can't reduce God down to the sun or, or the moon or a golden calf. It limits God to something that he's not. It reduces him down to a created object, and that's wrong. But more importantly... You shouldn't make an image of God because God has already made an image of himself. He's already done it. You don't have to make an image of God out of stone and wood because you are made in the image of God. Okay, so try to wrap your mind around that if you can. Imagine that you are raised in an environment in the ancient Near East where there is one divine king who alone is in the image of God. Creation exists to serve that God or gods. And and you exist as a human being, as a slave, whose, whose purpose is to bring stuff from creation as an offering to sustain that God or those gods. And of course, the king made in his image. That's just the world hierarchy. That's how it works. You are a slave at the bottom. But now, you pick up the book of Genesis and it blows your worldview to pieces. Because Genesis says that Every human being is made in the image of God, not just the king. Every human being, that's just who you are. That's what it means to be human. And if that's true, then your job as a human being is not to take what is in creation 
and, and bring it as offerings, as sustenance to the king and to the gods, but rather you were made to embody and reflect the God of creation into the created world. You were designed to take something that is, in a sense, almost outside of creation and bring it in. Therefore, if an alien showed up from some distant galaxy and wanted to know what God is like, you could point them several directions. You could draw their attention to the sun and the moon and the stars, to the distant galaxies they'd traveled through to get here, to, to the boundless natural beauty of planet Earth. Because the scriptures tell us that all of it reflects and embodies some aspect of God's invisible qualities and divine nature. Okay, but if you really want to know what God is like, then you look at his image bearers. You, you look at the ones who are made in his image and in his likeness. They are designed to powerfully reflect who God is. And every part of you plays a role in reflecting and embodying. It, it involves all of, of who and what you are as a human being. Your personhood, your rationality, your morality, exercising dominion, your creativity, your capacity for relationship, your, your ability to commune with God and to know Him. All of your capacities as a physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual being. We can't reduce it down to one or two things. But rather, all of who you are, functioning holistically, as this complex, multifaceted creature sets you up to be God's image bearer and embody and reflect him into the physical, visible world. You were made to be in loving relationship with the creator God and embody and reflect him into the world. That's it. That's, that's why humans exist. That's what we were created for. You are an image bearer of God. And yet, we don't have to look long at creation and the state of humanity and the headlines from the last seven days to recognize that something has gone terribly wrong. The problem is that if an alien did show up and studied humanity, uh, they, they might walk away with some very, very strange ideas about what God is like. It seems that we are not imaging God as we ought to. 
In fact, our very ability to do so has been marred by sin and rebellion. We, we do not embody and reflect him with the ease and joy that God originally intended. And yet, our identity as image bearers of God remains, even in a fallen world. Being an image bearer goes deeper than function. It goes deeper than your performance or how well you are reflecting God. Every single person, regardless of their knowledge of God, retains their status as an image bearer of God. And this actually becomes important when it comes to morality and human rights. How we think about ourselves and others should be deeply shaped by, by the reality that each and every one of us is made in God's image. And here's how this plays out practically. According to atheism and naturalism, you are an accident. God does not exist. The universe has no purpose. You certainly have no purpose. And human beings are the result of random chance. You bump two rocks together long enough, eventually you get humanity. A glorious accident afloat on a tiny rock in a vast, cold, purposeless universe. What a joy. And if you buy into that worldview, not only will you begin to feel rather hopeless and empty, but you will also lose all grounds for morality. An atheist has nothing to say in the face of injustice because to them there is no such thing as justice. There cannot be right and wrong. There is no absolute basis for treating anyone in any particular way or for treating a human being any different than an object or an animal. According to that narrative, it's survival of the fittest. And if I'm stronger, it is my right to take you out. Murder and genocide are part of the natural order of things. That's just how the world works. It's just part of the strong taking out the weak, which they have every right to do. According to atheism, there is no justice, there's no morality, because the universe is a cold, dark, random, pitiless place which has no meaning or purpose whatsoever. Biblical truth, on the other hand, is loaded with meaning and purpose and with a very clear sense of justice. Why should we treat other human beings with respect and dignity? Well, in part, it's because they bear the divine image. They are made in God's likeness. That's why. 
when Noah and his family emerge after the flood, uh, God forms a covenant with them and he gives a moral guidelines for this new world which they are to spread out and inhabit. And God tells them, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. Well, that's serious. Why? Why is God so serious about this? Why is killing another human being such a big deal? Why is it any different than killing animals? Well, God tells us. For in the image of God has God made mankind. That's why. That's why it's a big deal. James says, With our tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's what? Likeness. My brothers and sisters, this should not be so. Why should we not kill or curse any human being? Because although our rebellion against God has marred the image and taken us off course, every single human being is still made in the image of God. And that has to fundamentally shift the way that we treat them. When I was younger, I served in the military. And in, as part of my training, um, we, we were trained how to engage and destroy enemies of the United States. And I'm not saying that there is never a, a time or a place for war. Now, unfortunately, in a, in a fallen world, I think there are times where it will be the lesser of two evils. But one of the things I had to wrestle with as a soldier who was trained for war is the fact that every enemy of the United States is an image bearer of God. And, and that has to mean something to us. We, we have to feel the weight of that. To take the life of an image bearer of God is a very serious thing. And so there may really be a, a time to kill in, in, the, in the language of Scripture. But we pray that those times are very few and far between because we do not take the destruction of one of God's image bearers lightly. It is not a flippant thing. In the ancient world, to attack a king's likeness or image was to attack the king himself. It was an act of war against that king. And God looks at humanity and he says, these are my image bearers. All of them. Even the ones 
who cut you off in traffic. Even the political candidates that you hate. Even the foreigners who become labeled extremists who we kind of wish were dead. Even that family member who you really wish wasn't going to make it to Thanksgiving dinner. All of them are image bearers of God. Whether they embrace that or not, whether they know that or not, it doesn't matter. To be a human being is to be an image bearer of God. Period. Which means that we have to see all human beings as image bearers worthy of respect and dignity. Old and young, born and unborn, citizen and non-citizen, extremist and really boring. All of them are image bearers and God's heart for all of them is restoration. He wants them to be saved. Back into their original purpose. Back to their original design. Communing with Him. Resting in His love. Reflecting that back out into the world. So God set out to save the image bearers whom He loves. And the way that He set about saving us is a rather curious one. And I get a little numb to it sometimes after enough years of following Jesus. The incarnation, the fact that God stepped into humanity. It's a very curious thing. And so he comes as both a God and man. But here are some of the things that the scriptures say about him. The Son is the what? The image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Hebrews says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And finally, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What? Well, that last one through his disciples for a bit of a loop. What, do you, what does that mean? But it makes perfect sense. Jesus is the image of God. He reflects and embodies God perfectly. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You will never get a clearer picture of what God is like than by looking at Jesus himself. He is the very image and likeness of the exact representation of his being. You want to see God's invisible qualities displayed in the physical, visible world. Well, you can start with creation. 
and the sun and the moon and the stars. And then you can look to humanity and you get bits and pieces there. But if you really want to know what God is like, we have to look to Jesus. Jesus is the perfect human being that we could never be. He he is the one and only true human, in a sense, who perfectly captured the human vocation of embodying and reflecting God perfectly into the world. So if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. But if you want to know what humanity was supposed to be like, again, look to Jesus. And that's the part that we typically miss. Jesus, we typically see as sort of this superhero, right? Well, he's God and man. He's, he's different than us by his very nature. And so we attribute much of who and what he was to his divinity. Jesus was the way he was because he was God and, and also kind of man. But when I look at Jesus, I can't help but see what humanity was supposed to be. Jesus is the perfect image bearer. And in doing so, he shows us what is possible. He shows us what humanity was supposed to be like when we were formed in the beginning. The love, the grace, the mercy, the intimacy with God, resting in the empowering presence of his Father that gave birth to so much in his life. The patience, the kindness, the joy, all of it. Jesus is the most compelling, loving, provocative, joy-filled human being who ever lived. And what we see in him is what humanity was supposed to be. And, get this, will one day be in the future. And I don't want to lose you here because this part is important. Humans were made in the image of God. Uh, through what we call the fall, through sin and rebellion, that image was, was marred, it was blurred, it was corrupted, but not lost. We retain our identity as image bearers. And, and, and then Jesus comes on the scene to redeem those image bearers, and what he does is he becomes God and man and perfectly images the Father to us. He is the perfect image bearer. But then post-resurrection, what Jesus does is that he pours out his spirit over the church, over his followers. And as a result, they, we, are now filled with God's empowering presence and we are now being conformed into his image. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And finally, when Christ appears, we shall be like him. When Jesus returns, at the end of the age, you will be like him. In the meantime, in the middle of this age, God has poured out his spirit over the church and one of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing is conforming us, transforming us into his image. Huh. Well, that's weird. I thought God just wanted to forgive my sin so I could go to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. Creation, according to the scriptures, is headed somewhere. You and I are headed somewhere. We are being conformed, transformed into his image. And as we follow Jesus, we are to look increasingly like him. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, huh, that sounds an awful lot like discipleship. Where we like follow after Jesus and he's our teacher and he teaches us to be like him and do the things that he did. Yes. That's what discipleship is. Jesus wants to teach you how to be human as God intended. You are an image bearer of God in whom the divine image is being fully restored and will be fully restored one day. And so when we rewind back to the beginning and ask again those initial questions, who and what am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I headed? What's the point of my life? The best answer I can give is that you are an image bearer of God who by the grace of God is regaining the original human vocation. It is the will of the Father that all people would be conformed to the likeness of his Son by the power of the Spirit. And that has to shape the way that I live my life. Because I don't act day in and day out as if the goal of my existence is to become more like Jesus, to embody and reflect him into the world. And and it has to shape the way we view our enemies. Because no matter who we are tempted to hate and destroy, we always have to pause long enough 
to recognize that the one that we want to destroy is made in the very image of God. And God's heart for them is one of restoration, that they would regain the divine image, not be destroyed for their lack of it. The fact that all human beings are image bearers should affect everything from the way that I define personal success to the way that I treat my friends to the reasons that we go to war. And and here's where the, the rubber meets the road. Because if the goal of my existence is to look increasingly like Jesus, being remade in his image, then part of that journey must be learning to see every other human being as someone made in his image. And as we look back at the news headlines from the past seven days, we read about a man forming pipe bombs and sending them to blow up image bearers that he does not agree with. We read about a man who walked into a Jewish synagogue and started shooting people because they're Jewish. And we read about a man who tried to enter a black church to shoot people because they're black. And being unsuccessful in that, he walked across the street and started shooting people because they're black. And as we gather this morning, there is a caravan of migrants headed toward the U.S. border who will be met with stigma and hatred and resistance. And in each and every case, we have a choice to make. Will we treat our fellow human beings as image bearers of the living God, inherently worthy of our dignity and respect? Will we work for their good, for their safety, for their justice, for their flourishing? Will we honor and protect what God has made in His image and in his likeness? Or will we view them as threats to be eliminated, as dead weight to be shed, as outsiders to be rejected? To see human beings as image bearers of God is the end of racism. It is the end of abortion. It is the end of unnecessary war. It's the end of leaving the elderly to die on their own. It is the end of hate crimes. And if the global church of Jesus believes and embraces that truth and lives it out in all of our imperfection then we will see his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven.
Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, come before you in the midst of a uh, fragmented and hurting people who sit uh, at the middle of the world stage and, and yet are uh, be besought with problems and hatred and injustice. And I pray, Jesus, that as we uh, contemplate what it means to be an image bearer of God, that it would start with us in this room, that we would recognize this as part of our identity, that we would see the very purpose of our lives to be regaining that image, in a sense, to be made increasingly into the image of your Son, the one true image bearer, the one who did it perfectly. And as part of that journey, God, it, it is our joy and obligation. We are compelled, as we open the opening pages of Scripture, to see every single human being as someone made in your image, made in your likeness, worthy of our respect, worthy of our dignity, worthy of our protection, worthy of our love, worthy of our service, because they bear your image. And you do not take lightly the destruction of your image bearers. And as we contemplate that God, I, I pray that our mouths would be moved to speak, that, that our feet and hands would be unable to sit still as that truth sinks into the deepest parts of who we are, that it would illuminate for us uh, where we might step into the injustice of this world. Because if any group of people in the world ha has the means to properly fight injustice, it is the people who believe you. It is the people who open up the scriptures and say, I, I believe this. It's the people who have said yes to you. It's the people who are full of your spirit. You've given us the vision, God, and you've given us the power in your spirit. I pray that we would, would act on that. As we go from this place, God, with the reality of, of humanity's um, true purpose, uh, of our universal identity, would it begin to trickle into everything that we do? Would it affect the way we view the people who are not like us? Would it affect the way we view the people who maybe live on the other side of the ocean and actually wish death and destruction on us. Would you teach us, God, as, as your redeemed children, as those who are being re-restored into the image of your Son, what it looks like to treat our fellow humans as image bearers of the living God, who are worthy of your love, who are worthy of the gospel, who are worthy of restoration, who are worthy of the honor and the dignity that we have to give. We pray that you would do this in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.